0: Hello, this is James Ippolitti, host of Out of Silence. I wanted to jump in just to let you know that you may hear that it is the Songsmith Podcast or Creativity Gurus Podcast. Season one of both of those have been combined to the name Out of Silence, and that will be the name moving forward for any interviews that I have about creativity. So don't be confused. Songsmith Podcast and The Creativity Gurus is now under one brand out of silence. Peace. Hello, creators. Welcome to the latest edition of The Creativity Guru. I am your host, James Ippolitti. In this episode, I speak with Aunt Karen, TikTok's favorite Karen, known for exposing racists and giving the term Karen new meaning. Each week I speak with artists of all mediums, asking them about their creative journey with the hopes that you may glean something from our conversations to help you on your own journey so that you may live your creative dreams. This episode, I wanted to speak with Aunt Karen because creativity is not just about art. We need to think creatively and develop creative strategies to change the world. What Karen is doing on TikTok, I believe, is an entertaining and creative ways to open our eyes to the hate and racism in our world. And sadly, she never seems to run out of content. So if you would like to support this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribe so you are notified when I post new episodes. And being a newer podcast, it would mean the world to me if you give the podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So let's get right to Aunt Karen on this edition of The Creativity Guru. The devil works hard, but she works harder. My guest on today's show is Aunt Karen, who has been growing on TikTok, uh, a large following, <laughs> uh, and mostly because she is doing detective work and outing racists. And yep. welcome to the show. Thank you for taking some time out to talk to me.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad to be here.
0: So number one thing we have to talk about right now is the verdict.
1: Okay. <laughs> Guilty on
0: all charges. We have to uh-huh. tell tell me... Um, was that shocking to you?
1: You know, it, it was, but I had hope for it. So, you know, it, it's always a toss up when these things happen. So and, and just the thought of it was scary that if he would have um, been in his found innocent. So it was shocking, but relief at the same time.
0: Do you think that this is maybe a turning point?
1: I hope that it is. Um, I, you know, I know there'll be more cases, there'll be more things like this, but the hope is that there's always a turning point and this is going to be one of them. And that's my hope.
0: Yeah, I think it was definitely a relief, I think, for the entire country, but Mm -hmm. it was a hundred percent justice was served. Yes. We're going to get into some deep conversations, but before that, Mm -hmm. let's talk Mandalorian.
1: Ah, yes. Let's talk Mandalorian.
0: Have have you always been a Star Wars fan or is it new for you?
1: This is new for me. I have not always been a Star Wars fan and I am not afraid to admit that. Um, I got into it because of The Mandalorian. So now I'm like trying to binge watch all the Star Wars, you know, remember them once from when I was a kid um, and then just continue from there. So I'm learning as I go by watching The Mandalorian. And finishing it now wow yeah <laughs> I,
0: I I was a fan since nineteen seventy seven so yeah and it's great to see new people come aboard and and fall in love with it now. I don't know then if the ending of the uh with Luke was as powerful to you.
1: So Yeah. So my sister, um, she watched all of them. So she knows. And so I didn't get as powerful as she did, but I definitely was overwhelmed with emotion for it. So, yeah, probably not as powerful, but yes.
0: Yeah, I was almost in tears in that scene. That was amazing. (laughs) Um, And I'm not afraid to admit that. So one last fun thing. What is your cat's Mm -hmm. name?
1: Salem from Teenage Salem. from Sabrina. <gasps> yeah, Sabrina. Teenage witch. Oh
0: my god, I love Sabrina. <laughs> I actually have all the Sabrina Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comics, I have nice. every one of them, and oh, I love god. the show. Oh, it's so good! <laughs> yes. All right, well, that's good. Now let's get mm-hmm. into some heavy stuff. So all let's right, talk already. about good. Let's talk about the n word.
1: Uh, is yes.
0: <laughs> is there ever a time? Is there mm-hmm. ever a time a white person mm-hmm. is allowed to say the N word?
1: No, in I, your I do opinion. not believe. In my opinion, I do not believe there's ever a time. Uh, I, as I, I would hope, a white person wouldn't want there to be a time when <laughs> they can say the N word. For me, it's just there's it's a no go. It's a, just a we just it's like Harry Potter. He shall not be named. We just do not go there.
0: Right, and I think if I have. Two things I hope that this conversation can do. One, maybe there's some like closet racist driving and wants to listen to this podcast in their car Mm -hmm. and maybe it opens them up to some Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Um, And two, I want to talk about how, because I focus a lot on creativity and Mm -hmm. I like what you're doing and I want other people to come up with ways, hopefully creative ways to Mm -hmm. uh, help stop hate and racism. Right. Right. I personally don't care about talking about only Jaysus or whatever her name is. Yeah, only I don't, kn- mm-hmm. don't know who, is she, who she is. I only know based on like some people commenting on what she did.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I
0: saw a couple responses. The only reason I really want to talk about this is the relation to some things I heard her say, which I don't agree with. Unbelievably, she has 12 million followers. I mean, it sort of dipped yeah. down and it, it went back up, which is interesting yeah. to me.
1: Mm-hmm. And just so you know, um, only JS identifies as they, them. So. um, Oh, okay. Just, you know, just so you know. And, um, you know, their following, I don't. I don't get it. I feel as though a lot of it is misleading. So you have that small niche of teens. You know, one of one of their um, recent posts was about you know selling an Xbox or giving away an Xbox, where you're going to get those teenagers right then and there, and that boosted up their following. So it, it's a small niche.
0: Yeah, some of the things that they said was based on kind of their environment. I am in a county. Believe it or not, I am in a county that had the most arrests for the Capitol riot. I grew up around that. And I knew the N-word was bad.
2: Together, who was the choir director for the, for the Negro spirituals that you hear later in the mixtape. Mm-hmm. And he, it was Roderick that actually got the choir together and everything. Um, so yeah, you got you know. some
0: amazing talent on this and, uh, you yourself prior to this, would you have considered yourself a musician?
2: I still don't know if I consider myself a musician. <laughs> I like, my thing is I, with co-writing lyrics is a very different thing than actually having to perform. So, you know, I'm not performing like singing on the actual mixtape, but I had a hand in just about all the tracks except one. There's one track that is a remix of an original song that Frankie Tsunami submitted for the for the mixtape that we were excited to have, you know, on. And other than that, I think it also took a lot of the pressure off because I didn't have to worry about like right. like I just got to worry about helping make it. I didn't have to worry about actually performing it or anything. So, I still don't know if I'm a musician like that yeah, so
0: I'm trying I'm trying to picture this you're it's uh March 2020 you think you're about to die and you decide I'm going to throw together a mix of comedy and music into one big mixtape and and this is your dying wish to have this released
2: In in a sense yeah, yeah. because I cuz okay so you know Mike and I started talking it was either April or May so that was like early on in the pandemic I started chatting with Groovebox in Chicago by around the same time, like May, and then all the other stuff started to come together by, I guess, June. And I had been writing, I never really stopped writing over the course of 2020. Like, obviously, I was doing shows, even doing shows with Trevor in January. But then when things started to look like bleak, and people started to cancel things, I was still writing. And then... You know, when we were actually in lockdown, I was actually writing a bit more because right. I guess I was trying to process all of it and everything. Right. But then, you know, I think that I only got sick two times last year. And one of the times that I got sick, I really did. I I thought I had COVID. I was like, it but was. Did you? I didn't. I didn't. So, but so you never I, got it. No. I never got it. But yeah, I had like an like, asthma yeah, thing. So yeah. then it was like, oh, God, if I can't breathe. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like I, I've, I personally like have all kinds of issues with medical stuff. So I'm always like surviving cancer that I never had. You know, yeah, I always have yeah, that really, yeah. You know, yeah. like oh my god, I don't have it, but I feel like I just bat- won. You know, the battle of cancer that yeah. I never had. Yeah, um, that's how I felt with COVID. I'm like oh my god, all the time. I'm like oh, I just I just survived, but I never had it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, th- what's fascinating about this? So I listened to. There's not too much out right now. I think with Elusive besides the stand-up parts, and I heard the one song which was really nice. It begins with the acoustic guitar.
2: Yeah, uh, then then it's uh, I like you too.
0: Yep, and I think I think going into this, you know, somebody who knows you as a comedian, they're not going to listen to that and start cracking up, right? That's the. It's not like oh, here's a comedy song. Are any of the songs? Uh, laugh out loud type songs, or they're just part of the story that leads you into the joke.
2: Yeah, they're all sort of summations of jokes. So none of them are actually humorous. It's just that I I think that there's angles. So for instance, the the mixtape goes in two arcs. So the first arc is more about. Uh, love in general, and that one's more of a timeless one. Where part one, two, three, and four are the different stages of a, of a relationship. You know, because uh, initially you meet and everything is fine. It's like honeymoon right, phase, right. rose tinted glasses. Uh, you know, they get a little drunk sometimes, but it's okay. And then you know, you get into part two, and that's more finding out who a person is and having a contend with that. And like, Oh, am I still down for this? Because this is that you still have all the good parts that I saw before, but oh, this is, you might be a monster. And then (laughs) three is really feeling like you're losing a grip on where things are going. And four is about whether or not you want to stay. And so, you know, those things, none of those songs really even give off like a joke vibe. We were very intentional with, just about every song, from the first few notes, to let you know this wasn't going to be like a a joke, right? Um, and so I I don't think, and even the people who have who have been able to you know pre-listen some of my friends and other comics and people whose who's, whose opinions I really wanted to have for the overall project, I none of them really thought, like mistook the songs for jokes through the first listen, which I was very happy about, because I know only knowing me from standup, you would think if I'm going to do music, it's going to be funny.
0: Right. And you know, I, when I listen to that song, I immediately, like you said, it's immediate that you realize this is a real song. This is something you can listen to. Like, uh, you know what I envision. And that's kind of what I thought you were doing with this, which I think is brilliant. And it's almost like a movie script, like a rom-com script where the songs are montages, you Mm -hmm. know, yeah. Like, uh, that's how I was seeing when I was listening, though. Okay, here's the here's the uh, beginning of the relationship, and we're all in love, and everything's great. And then we cut to the scene where you're telling what's coming up next, you know? Yeah.
2: Um, and so, so some of them, and, and don't get me wrong, some of the, the songs to the jokes are very loose in their relationship. But mm-hmm. the the second arc basically handles the year that 2020 was it's like, you know, I talk about everything that was on my mind throughout the year. And then there are songs that back up those things. Um, but the, the main purpose is that comedy is so much of the time that, you know, even if you try to make something timeless, even if you try to not make something so pandemic focused, eventually, even in just the way that you talk, like if you listen to an old Bob Hope comedy album, even his cadence is like nothing you would really recognize in comedy now. So, you know, right. I wanted to make a part of the mixtape that was going to be a bit more timeless. And that's where the music comes in, because people connect with music no matter when it was created. There's that's there's right. Grateful Dead fans that haven't been born yet, you know?
0: <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, you know, They're already like uh, tripping in the womb. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so um, you brought up a really interesting point, and I never thought about this. I know... Comedy is about timing. And then you make that relationship to music about being about timing. Now, I always thought comedy and horror were related. So, like, that's why I think Jordan Peele really made an easy transition to make Get Out and be a horror director. Because comedy, it's the same thing when it comes to the punchline or the jump scare, right? It's all about timing. But you're taking that idea and saying, well, let's look at music and the timing where we talk about music. So, explain, get into that why you see music and the timing and the relationship to comedy and timing.
2: So, I think that for the most part, when you look at all of the arts, like all of them stacked up next to each other, dance and music are the only two things, they're the only two arts where every second matters. Any other art you can think of is either about the finished product or about getting to the finished product as fast as you can. Even in jokes, even if I'm telling you a very funny story that has a lot of funny parts, I'm still trying to get from the next funny part to the next funny part in as quickly as possible. That's what good comedy is. And then if you, if you really let that relationship widen, now you're just doing good storytelling, right? right and right. even in good storytelling, it has to end somewhere else. It's not a great story. Whereas with because music is about every single moment, I found that the the way that I wanted the jokes to be taken in was never going to actually that that is not people's relationship to comedy. So even though I feel like every word is important and everything should be, you know, like really digested for for the overall piece to make sense. I know that music is the only way I'm going to be able to do that. And so the the. Timing with music is also important because if I have the right song after the right jokes, it it finishes the overall thought like um, it's almost like pairing, like food pairing, you know, yeah. where it's yeah. like at a certain point, there are certain wines that go with good, good food and then... There are some things that you just don't mix. And that's why the sequencing was so important. And that's why I talked to Mike so much about how we wanted to sequence this, even before I got to perform all the comedy. Because I actually did the stand-up in the order that we would try to put it on the mixtape when I was performing it, because we had already had an idea of like, okay, these cluster of songs need to go together. These jokes are kind of based off these songs, so these jokes need to go together. So every you know joke-to-song pairing is the best I feel like for digesting the whole idea. And, and that's where the timing comes in because the, the timing of certain songs... So for instance, there's a the, the song about whether you're going to stay or you're going to go is called Company. Right. And that one comes after uh, a track where I talk about someone who left me. And so now, not just subject matter-wise, but actual timing wise there's something that is finishing the idea because the whole joke I'm jokingly okay but I'm clearly not okay like I, like like I wrote the joke and in real life I'm fine but it, within the joke through my tone you can tell I'm not actually okay like this is right. like like it's still affecting me but then a song coming up afterwards that actually does have a somber tone of a person that's affected and has been left is, is what finishes the idea.
0: And that's so those amazing. two
2: timings match.
0: Yeah, that's like you're, you're throwing people on an emotional roller coaster here, Um, you know, to be like laughing. But, you know, I think that's some of the best comics who can make you feel, like, laugh, and then a moment later, like, you're like, oh, my God, like, you feel the pain or you feel the sadness. I think, sure, yeah. I think that, that's a real – there's one scene in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles that John Candy does that that really gets me, where, you know, you have Steve Martin mocking John Candy – and you're laughing and you're laughing where he's doing that thing with the pool. he's like you're you're like you never shut up, and then he switches to John Candy, who's like "My wife likes me, I like me, and you're like in tears all of a sudden like yeah. and 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 that's kind of an interesting like I can see that in film, and I think you're kind of doing that on this mixtape where you're being able to take people on this left and then like they know the dark part there and then when you bring that in and you're right the music will pull that emotion even more out of a person so that is a brilliant way to put something together uh I really applaud you for that
2: Oh thanks man i mean yeah i i've i've fallen in love with all of the music because it's the one part of it that i didn't see coming if that makes sense because this is my first jump into music right i i know what writing jokes and finishing jokes and jokes that do really well sound like so it's not as if it's lost its magic i still love it very much but it has like become normal whereas like the songs and the way that the music came together. Like there was nothing throughout the entire process. There was nothing like finishing a song, like actually being like, this is how it'll sound on the mixtape. We're done. Right. Like that's a crazy feeling. Yeah. And it's, it's up there with finishing a joke, but there's something that's so much more like, well, I, I would say
0: you're obviously collaborating, right? So mm-hmm. when you're, Probably writing, well, I guess uh, on The Daily Show, you're, um, you're collaborating with writers in a room and coming up with ideas. I mean, I have this uh, fantasy of what it looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it must, to me, it's like you got the dream job. But, like, when, as a musician, I know, like, what it was like to either be in a band or recording with someone. And you're taking all that energy and putting it onto something. And that, everyone's energy is coming out of that
2: song. So, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think that that was the thing that I didn't prepare myself for is that like someone else, like I already, I already knew everyone involved with the project was talented. Right. I didn't expect so much of, of what it would feel like for a piece of someone else to be in a thing that I helped make because I haven't, you know, been collaborating in a way that was like, multi-genre and stuff like like there's there's r&b and then there's also hip-hop and funk and then there's negro spirituals on the track so it's all like it's all happening throughout the project and so i got to dabble in each genre that i that i've always admired have you thought about putting this out on vinyl do you know if you will so I think that we're going to wait. We're going to wait to see. There. Here's the thing. So my manager actually wanted to put it on vinyl immediately. And yeah. I was like, let's see if people like it first. Because I don't know if I want 10 vinyls at my house <laughs> <laughs> as a reminder of that thing that nobody listens to.
0: In your closet, you just never <laughs> yeah. open it anymore because vinyls fall out. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, though, I mean, it just it lends itself to a vinyl just because, you know, the idea that you're putting these tracks in a specific order, if somebody goes to Elusive and hits Shuffle, uh, you know, it's it's not going to get across what you intended. Um, that's why I only asked the vinyl part, because I think it would be yeah. nice to throw it on and, and
2: just have it play. Um, yeah, we will down the line. I just I wanted to check... <laughs> Check first. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, you <laughs> should make it
0: like a record store day exclusive or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so what about going live with this? Is this something you've thought about?
2: Yeah, so we actually plan to, when things fully open back up and stuff, we want to do a New York, Chicago, and L.A. show with everybody because that's where everyone is. Um right. So like Frankie and Mike are in L.A. Uh, Chicago is where Groovebox is. Roderick is also in L.A., but then the choir is actually in New York, so we would just need to, like, fly Roderick to New yeah. York and everything. But, uh, yeah, everybody involved is in those three cities, and so we were thinking, like, doing three different dates where at least somebody doesn't have to fly.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that would be amazing to see live. It just sounds like a, a really... Fun night of like music and comedy. Like, yeah, let's take a break for a word from our sponsors so we can keep this show going. Have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. I'm so serious. Super easy. Let me explain. First, it's free, there are creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast from your phone or your computer. Mostly I'd use the computer, but I just did the phone and it was super easy. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And doing that yourself is a pain in the butt. So, so happy they do it for me. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need, all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get creative. Um, so let's talk about, well, I guess you're going to be, you just found out about this, uh, one hour special on comedy central.
2: Oh yeah. So we got, uh, we got the date. It's going to be June 18th. So it's actually a week after the mixtape comes out.
0: Yeah. Is this going to be live or is it something that they pre-record?
2: Oh, we pre-record it. Yeah. It's, I don't Uh, have to worry about delivery now. I just have to (laughs) let it come out. So did you
0: already had a special though? Was it a half hour special on Comedy Central?
2: Yeah, I had a half hour back in the day, yeah.
0: How does that work? How do they decide like uh hey, this guy had a half hour is it like
2: Well, I, I mean, know. for the most part it's mainly submitting your like your hour as it is and mm-hmm. then seeing if they're down with yeah, it. If they're into then, it. Yeah. So that's the ma- that's the only process I know of. I'm sure that there there's Like, depending on what network you go to or who you're doing it with, I'm sure there's overall deals and stuff like that. But that's the process I'm familiar with.
0: And this is going to be, I guess, uh, newer material that you've had this stuff out yet?
2: Yeah, none of it's out. And um, none of it's the same as Elusive. So you won't be getting gypped if you listen (laughs) to Elusive and then... Tune in, you know? Tune in to Comedy Central. No,
0: I don't think you would. Um, and I, I listened to I Like You, which is your first comedy album, and you could have easily just went and said, I'm going to do another comedy album, right? I mean, and had yeah. it side by side, and you decided to go with the music, and do you think you're going to be... Which which direction do you think you go? And if this goes well, are we going to be seeing more music comedy
2: uh, Or from yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to do more no matter what. I think that this is obviously elusive is my baby and it's something that i put you know a lot of my life for you know a, nearly a year into but also it's something that i really enjoyed the process of and want to keep doing just based off that and I love working with Mike. I love working with Jesse Kale, who also was was working on uh, a couple of the tracks in Elusive with us. And now he's taking on a bigger role, so he's going to be like co-EPing some things. And then I also love working with Groovebox, and I think that he's brilliant. And so right. I'm going to do more, no matter what. That's why, like I and I'm, it's it's one of those things where it's like you 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 don't want to say it because it makes it sound like you're trying to sound cool and I'm not, but like, <laughs> I'm fully prepared for things to go either way with the mixtape. I know people mostly just know me from comedy, so it's either going to take them a while or they're going to immediately jump on the idea that I also, you know, co-write and and co-produce music. But I think that no matter what, I, I think people will start to know it's a thing that I do by the time the third one comes out or something, right? Like, so I have no plans on stopping.
0: You you don't want you might be nervous that you might be like uh, thought of as like Eddie Murphy party all the time kind of thing, or you know, like he, he Eddie Murphy is doing all this stand up and then he comes out with this is not the same thing, though. That's what I want to get across. This yeah. this is not Eddie Murphy singing party all the time. This is actually a a complete uh, project from
2: beginning to end. So this is the thing. This is the two my two biggest things with party all the time. <laughs> one i do have the the scapegoat that i'm not singing
1: so no, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like
2: it's like people like you really can't. I I helped make the song, so I hope you like the song because everyone that is on the song is very right. talented. But then the second thing is that like party all the time is pretty good. It, it got is like good. it got like a bad rap because you know everyone knew Eddie through comedy, so then they made the song a joke, even though it wasn't a joke. But with hindsight, like if you just if someone just put on party all the time for like a very young person that only knew who Eddie Murphy was from Daddy Daycare. <laughs> right. So we're not talking about people who know him from Eddie Murphy, Raw, delirious anything. Yeah. We're talking about like, you know, a 20 something that is just like, oh, the guy from oh, he sings. Oh, this is pretty good. That. Right. So even it's it's weird. Hit, like it's it depends on who you are, but sometimes history vindicates you when people try to clown you. And, right. and I find that like, if I did make a party all the time, I would still be proud of it. Cause that's a good song. Like
0: it is, you know, I never got why I, I, I get it. Like, again, I was there when he's doing raw and delirious and, and going to the store and getting the VHS tape to watch it. And then that song comes out and you're like, okay, but I, it's a good song. You're right. It, it's, it's just the timing, but you're right. In hindsight, it's a good song. And I don't think anybody would think otherwise.
2: Yeah, and it also didn't like even though he didn't keep making music and we don't know, he may have. My right. man is my man is very rich. He could have a whole studio in his house and then just making music that he doesn't release because he's like, I'm tired of people clowning my right, art. Right. But I think that even so, that didn't really hurt him, if that makes sense. Like like there are some projects that hurt someone's career. Right. Whereas like Getting clowned is not the same thing as people actively being like, Oh, you make bad things now. Like like I think that sometimes people treat Eddie Murphy's party all the time like Nicolas Cage's like third bad movie, to where it was like, Oh, this is what you do now. And no one really seemed to think that of Eddie. Like, Eddie went on to be more famous after Party All the Time. He
0: did, he, but he, but it he became a different Eddie, you know? It became the, like you said, Daddy Daycare Eddie. And That's uh, true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do miss the 80s Eddie. I mean, I love to see... Well, they just did the Coming to America, which was uh, great. The, yeah, the second yeah. one of that. So that's good. Do you find that um, comedy is harder to do in today's world? I mean, because I know there's a lot of, you know... I, Can you still be funny? I think Chris Rock had a lot to say about this, but be offensive or say something that is quote-unquote wrong and still be funny without people coming at you and trying to cancel
2: you. I think this is just my two cents about it. I think you can still be funny. You just can't be lazy. I think that there are people who, yes, have nothing but – Terrible intentions towards people trying to be funny. That that's a given, and that's always been a thing. Like people, right. you know, with the with the creation and the popularity of Twitter, they're more prevalent now. But there's always been that person that like that's as old as comedy clubs. There's always been that person that's like, well, I'm leaving. Like that. That's always existed. Oh, yeah. But now we have a situation where even in the canceling. I find that I'm hard pressed to find someone that really got taken down in a way that was like just jokes. I don't know, like, like I'm not saying it can't happen and it doesn't happen. I'm, I'm just saying. What's his name?
0: Um, from Seinfeld. That wasn't even a joke, though. Uh, Uh, Kramer Kramer? from Seinfeld. Yeah, Yeah, you know that story.
2: Yeah, but I feel like even with that, so you take something like that, it's like once things leave the realm of trying to be funny, then even comics can't really defend them anymore, so then, it, so right. then you are kind of on your own. I'm not saying comedians don't get in trouble. I'm just saying like, f- truly, purely over jokes, I feel like it's actually very rare. And so right. the, the thing that's happening now, though, is that because of the Internet, the people trying to be funny... Or I guess the people trying to give the people, like comics, trying to be funny a hard time, are just as loud now. Whereas before, Mm. you know, if someone didn't like your joke... Like, let's say it's the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. And and you went to Eddie Murphy Raw taping, and you were like, well, I'm gay, and I didn't find those jokes funny, and I found it very offensive, whatever. I Like, now you just have to go on with your life. There was no Twitter back then to, like, fully bring to light and bring people in who weren't there and like misrepresent things that were said and like like it's a it's a bigger mess now so i feel like it's it's a comics job just to be super clear and to stay funny like not everyone's gonna find everything funny but i don't find it's as hard for me either because one i'm already not like part of my personality is not as controversial. Like I'm pretty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) so then, so then I rarely get really attacked. Like, it's funny. The jokes that I do that piss people off are always a surprise to me where I'm like, Oh, example. Um, so my joke that's out, that's out now of a, a snippet from my special is about how there's, my 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 female friends, especially in New York, have talked to me about guys that they're trying to date, and one of my friends had this whole list of things that you want in a guy and I was like, uh, I Whoa. know this well
0: this is the three things there's only three things you can get in a man, and yeah. you can only get two yeah yeah, that is brilliant by the way, I love it and, I appreciate and I, you know, it. I the thing that I don't like about it is you <laughs> made me think about myself. God. <laughs> And I'm like, holy shit, which ones am I? I? And, like, you end the joke that way, but I, I'm, I, I would not want to ask. Like, yeah, don't yeah. Ask, Don't ask your girl that question.
2: Yeah, and so then I, I had some people on Twitter that were like, well, my man, and it was like, it was like a weird, like, they weren't joking. They, like, they weren't like, oh, I think my man, they were like, no, I mean, my man has six. Okay, Sex. you son of a bitch. Like it was like, it was like, like one person was like actually mad at me and I was like, oh, over okay, it. wow.
0: <laughs> wow. That's crazy.
2: Oh my yeah. gosh. Because oh. the last thing I'll say about it too, is that I think that a lot of people, I think it's easier to make this seem like a more sensitive time, but I think a lot of people that get disgruntled with comedy or don't, or like, I don't know, don't have a sense of humor or whatever or just have access to you now in a way that they didn't before. Yeah, so this correct. is not necessarily the same thing. I'm not equating any comedian right now doing this. I'm just making an example, right? When you look at vaudeville and you look at blackface, yep. black people never found blackface really funny like a fun thing even when black people did it even when black people did it to like get in on the show and make money and make a living right it still wasn't a thing that we're like ah that guy but (laughs) who who could we really complain to and it wasn't until decades later that both some of the performers and the general public was like oh this is kind of bad and then, then it stopped outside of Halloween parties, you know. So it's like that thing is kind of how a lot of comedy works. Like, like we we forget that there was a whole there was there was a whole sect of '90s comedy where the punchline was just calling someone gay.
0: A really good example is um, Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's, where he's the Asian man, mm-hmm. and you, you know, and he's so it's so racist that I was watching the. Uh, blu-ray like extras and the director is just like he had nothing to say there was nothing you can say to defend it yeah. and uh you know and it's interesting that you said like black people didn't find that stuff funny in uh bruce lee there's a movie with bruce lee well it's not bruce lee but it's the movie about his life where they're watching that breakfast as tiffany and he just got up and left because of that scene and mm-hmm. everybody else is laughing in the theater
2: yeah you know? and and so i think that also you have to as as annoying or painful as it may be you also have to take in the time like i was saying before with the mixtape comedy is very much of the time and so if we're in a time where people are ignorant to certain things it, you can't put it through today's lens and say it still holds up But right. i don't know if it's the job of comedy to hold up for the entirety of time that that it, being funny is already hard do I really right. have to think about what people are going to think in 2020, you know, 100? Right. Like like it's like yeah. like in 22,000 in the year that's got an extra zero in it? Like how how are they going to receive my comedy? It's like they probably won't. Like I I I I think that as terrible as some things are, this is the one thing that I say even now when people do an offensive joke and makes people really mad, I tell people, don't to me at least don't get mad at that comic. That comic was merely putting up a mirror to you of a thing that they think is funny, and if the people in the audience don't laugh, then we, not all of people, but we as a society in that moment, at least in that club, have decided that's not funny. But even
0: she had said, I never wrote it as like a white person. It just, that's, that's how the movie went, but it could be white or black.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's always, like I said, it's always has been about the beauty standards and what they think is most appealing. And that's just how it's been. And it's a, it's a frustrating thing at at, at the most, but you know, now there's more opportunities and hopefully it starts getting better.
0: Now, do you feel that, um, and this is going back to the people talking about your wig. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you feel that, Black women felt pressure to Mm -hmm. lean towards that standard of white beauty uh, where they would try to appear. I won't say appear more white, but Mm -hmm. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um,
1: I, I think I don't think black women are, you know, trying to appear more white i think it's people don't understand the style how to style and why how we style our black hair um you know and why it was moved towards that you know what i mean wigs have always been more convenient but if you ever saw um you know a person's you know like the natural blackness of our hair you could see that it's not an easy thing that you want to you can just throw in the shower and then right. and it's like, you know, and, and let me brush it twice. And then I'm cool. I'll let the air dry it. You know what I mean? Well,
0: um, on top of I that, th- wouldn't it have been also difficult for a black woman in the past to probably get employment? Correct. With that, with their natural hair.
1: Yes. And it's, and it still, still is today because I've gone on interviews in the past where it was like, okay, I could wear my hair really curly. Or I can just straighten it because I know that if I don't, I know people are going to think it's a little, it's a little wild and it's a fear that a lot of black people have. But now with the natural, there's a natural hair movement and it's all about wearing your hair naturally. Right. Meaning you don't, you know, whether it's a, whether you curl your hair or whether you let it curl or whether you straighten it or you do it without, you know, product, you know, and that's always been a great movement. And It's and it's a nice movement. But what you to your point earlier, a lot of it was pressure from that standard of white beauty that the straight hair, you know, or the, you know, not the curly, you know, afro is what people wanted to see.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't even have this written written down, but I wanted to uh, bring it up. (laughs) The angry black woman.
1: Mm-hmm. That also
0: has come up a lot on your um, TikTok.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's interesting. I, I don't understand it also. Like, I don't understand any of it because I'm a, mm-hmm. a white guy in suburbia. So to mm-hmm. me, um, I understand what they mean by that. Like when they say, right. oh, an angry, the angry black woman. and mm-hmm. But to me, if I was to say exactly what you said, I would be passionate. I would be a powerful speaker. I would be, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody Mm -hmm. who's a mover and shaker. Uh, You know, when a black woman does this, Mm -hmm. it's played down as there's just that. Now, um, that's still happening. Mm -hmm. Do you Mm -hmm. do you is it just to shut you up? Is that the reason?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's an intimidation tactic. It's a, you know, you don't want to appear as this person that who's angry, right? But I think it's also something in w- general that women have to face because no matter what, when a woman says something, it's like, mm, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're a little too passionate, you're a little basically, you know, why is she so angry? Why is she basically a bitch? She's just right. when you're a boss, it's like you're just trying to you have to see check yourself on how you appear, right? For black women, it's that same thing because it's like cat, black women have always been casted as a mm mm-hmm. oh, right. yes, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind of motherly like, oh, what can I get you? What can I? And that's always how black women have been casted and have. So when you're not that sweet talking, you know, kind of it's like, why are you so angry? Like you don't have a right to be angry.
0: Right. But if anybody has a right to be angry, it's an it's a black person.
1: Right. 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 I mean, it's, it's absolutely. I mean, black women for generations have watched their children be torn from their arms. Right. Sold off, you know, um, and grown up, grown apart from them. And this has been, you uh, watched them die, and, and you know what I mean, because of, you know, because they couldn't get to, because of a traffic stop, stop and heard about, you know, all of this. So if anyone has the right from, you know, to be angry, it is a black woman because we are bearing children that we don't know what is going to happen to them in, in this society. Right.
0: I mean, like you said, you have a daughter. I have children as well. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I I couldn't imagine being a black person in the world. I just Mm -hmm. couldn't because the, I know personally how terrified I am of my white children (laughs) and I don't even have the burden of them getting pulled over Mm -hmm. and having that happen to them. It's just, I, it, I couldn't even, I mean, it's unbelievable. So uh, with the, um, there's been so many things happening in just the past couple of weeks. I know there was something mm-hmm. on NPR saying that we have like a, a black person being killed, being interrupted by another black person being killed. And then the news mm-hmm. is another. So,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and, and the answer, you know, a lot of these white people will say, um, if you resist arrest, you deserved it. You know? Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and yeah, that's basically what they say. Mm-hmm.
0: And I see a lot of these I live around these people who say this Mm -hmm. stuff constantly and they they Mm -hmm. can't put them there. There's an inability for these people to put themselves in the shoes of another human.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's frustrating because you should not expect to die. If you walk away from a cop, you know, if you turn your back and say, You know what? I don't want to do this today. You know, you should not expect to die if you, you know, resisted a little bit when they tried to put you in the car. Or, you know, if no weapon is drawn on you, you do not fear for your life. You should not, the police officer should not, if they're not fearing for their life, literally really fearing for their their lives, they should not pull the gun on you. I've had cops come up to my car with their gun already on their hip ready to go and it's like i i mean geez i mean you pulled me over because i you know apparently didn't stop well enough at the stop sign i'm not sure why you gotta you know what i mean while you're all ready to go um you know it's it's, i mean it's you know seven in the morning what are we doing (laughs) yeah um yeah
0: it's absolutely terrifying and it's interesting the the um incident with the taser Mm-hmm. Um, which mm-hmm. I still can't get p- beyond not knowing the difference. But one mm-hmm. of these guys, he was on TikTok saying that he teaches police about the use of tasers, mm-hmm. um, and he says he's seen these incidents because they. He says they're overtrained, basically to kill. They're overtrained, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and let's be honest, they're overtrained to kill black people. They're not.
1: Yeah, because yeah, they kill. don't see white people as, as threats. right? And Mm-mm. so
0: he was saying that they don't put any training into non-lethal ways. They get mm-hmm. trained once a year on a non-lethal way. Oh, I'm um, sure. And uh, I I just, I see people on your channel make me so mad just because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it, uh, do you feel it's better to have the monster in plain sight?
2: Yeah. <sighs> You know, or
0: how it was before Trump, where we, we they, it was, they were out there, but they probably knew a little bit better than to be so open about it.
1: You know, that's a double edged sword of a question. Um, I think it's great to have the monster in sight because now it's like, wow, you really see how some of your neighbors truly feel. You mm-hmm. really see how some of your coworkers truly feel. I think this has educated a lot of people, but I also think there's been a lot more fear mongering by Trump. So I'm glad that it's out in the open. Um but it saddens me now more that it's out in the open. If you know what I mean. It's just it's it's sad in a way because you see more of it. Yeah. And it's like you almost wish you didn't know your neighbor is now flying a flag of Trump even though he's he's he no he no longer is the president, but right. you, now it's like oh uh, god, that's the Trump house. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's weird because that flag now—you might as well put a Nazi flag on your front lawn.
1: That's exactly what I feel when when I see that flag. That you might as well, you might as well just just go ahead and put Hitler on your on your on your uh, decorations for Christmas as well. I mean, it, you might as well at this point.
0: Were you the one who had that guy who was in getting into his car and he yells "Hail Hitler" or something like that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Any? Yep. Is, is that a
1: recent one? That's a recent one. And I actually spoke with him and I posted what? a video. Yeah, I spoke with him on the phone. I posted a video with him, uh, with me speaking to him. Oh, you're just, he told me, oh, I'm just an overweight whale. You know, he thought I was white, actually. What? <laughs> he thought I was white. And he's like, and then once I, I said, you know, you, 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 hes I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not white. And he's like, oh, what, what are you? And I'm like, I'm black. And he's like, oh, well, then you're just, an, and you know, that's when it just began that. And I'm like, uh, and he's actually Persian. He's Persian and Jewish himself.
0: Well, so yeah, it was a very I mean, interesting
1: conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, racism is not just uh, American, you know. Right, we, right. We right. might do it the best, but.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah.
0: Uh, uh, it's everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So. Well, this has been a lot of fun talking with you. I really enjoy what you're doing. I hope other people, you know, if they can, they go to your Patreon, help you with that. I would love Mm -hmm. to see more investigation going on. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. And and for a lot of people, if you're listening to think, how can you help stop hate and racism? We need to think creativity, like really creatively. Mm-hmm. on this. Um I, I was talking to a friend of mine about Martin Luther King. I said you gotta, like, we know him now for what he has said and what he has done, but when he was doing it
1: mm-hmm.
0: that was like insane mm-hmm. to be talking the way he was talking and trying to do what he was doing. And you can only do that if you have a creatively thinking brain. You have right. to think outside the box to mm-hmm. make change. Mm-hmm. And We can't just keep going with the same old, same old because it hasn't been working. Mm -hmm. And we need, Mm -hmm. you know, people like you and Karen to uh, (laughs) to to open our eyes to these things and say, you know, what can I do? What can Mm -hmm. I do to help make the world a better place? So I really appreciate that you're doing that.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really happy that we got to sit down and do this.
0: All right. Well, we'll keep talking, I'm sure. And uh, (laughs) maybe when you have your podcast, I can come on and say hi. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. All
0: right. Bye-bye. Bye.